Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, Quick, come down, I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. You know, you can tell quite a bit about somebody by the kinds of shoes they wear. You know, for example, some shoes make a bold fashion statement. I mean, some shoes are required for the type of job you may have. Some shoes uh, you, you wear because they're designed specifically for a sport you're playing or an activity that you're doing. And, and some shoes are just specifically designed for comfort. Right, right. And then there's even other shoes that are kind of fueled by mission where maybe you've heard of some of these where like if you buy one pair, then they give a pair away to someone in need for free. It's this one for one deal. And so there's, there's all kinds of shoes. And so with that in mind, I just want to ask you, like, what do your shoes say about you? You know, when you think about that, what do your shoes say about you? And there's this, this common phrase that we hear to, to walk a mile in their shoes. Walk a mile in their shoes. And this idea, it, it kind of comes from this, this concept that if we, would, if we would put ourselves in someone else's shoes and, and view a situation or the world from their vantage point, from their perspective, th- then we would gain an insight beyond our own. And, and we might not be so critical of that person anymore. You, you know, I really love the way that Jack Handy put it on SNL, he said this, before you criticize someone, you should walk a mile in their shoes. That way, when you criticize them, you're a mile away from them and you have their shoes, right? But, but, but this, this concept of, of trying on someone else's shoes, it is meant to, to give us a new and a greater perspective. And it really is true. Like it, it, it actually works. Like our bandwidth to care and to listen and to love others like Jesus expands when we put ourselves in their shoes and we see the world from their vantage point, whoever they may be. And, and over the next several weeks, we're, we're going to try on all kinds of shoes. We're going to try on different shoes from various people who had real personal encounters with Jesus, people who walked with Jesus. And we're going to kind of look at these people. And these are people with, with real issues and questions and struggles and hopes and dreams. And, and then we, we're going to walk away from all of that in the same way that those people walked away from Jesus, hopefully changed. You know, over the next several weeks, we're going to look at these shoes. And, and in fact, next week, we're going, to, we're going to lace up a pair of New Balance. And we're going to view the world from the perspective of a guy named Bartimaeus. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to slip on a pair of bedroom slippers and we're going to view the world from the perspective of a woman who desperately needed to be ambushed by grace. 
And then we're going to throw on a pair of army boots as we look at the world through the eyes of a Roman centurion. And, and then finally, we're going, to, we're going to throw on a pair of sandals. And we're going to gain the perspective and insight from a guy named John the Baptist. But, but today, today we're going to slide on a pair of wingtips. We're going to slide on these, these nice leather, like pleated uh, dress shoes, these wing tips, and we're going to unpack like a perspective and an encounter that, that a guy you very well may know named Zacchaeus. That we're going to unpack the story of Zacchaeus and, and this interaction he has with Jesus. And so if you have your Bibles, you're tracking along on uh, Uversion app or, or you're on the, uh, the Church Center app with us, we're going to be in Luke chapter 19. So I'd invite you to join me there. But before we do, before we dive in, I just want to ask, have you ever considered what it would be like to be in someone else's shoes? And specifically, have you ever considered what it would be like to put on the shoes of a judge? All right. I personally know two judges in my life, two very, very sharp individuals who, who both, I'm sure, had their, their own collection of wingtips, just like the ones that we're looking at, just like the ones that we were talking about. But when I say imagine what it would be like to put on the shoes of a judge, I'm not talking about the most honorable champion of justices. No, no, no. I'm talking about what it would be like to be a judge on one of those reality TV contest shows. You know the kinds I'm talking about, right? Like, like pick any of them, X Factor, or Idol, or, or Dancing with the Stars, or The Voice. And, and then there's one that I've only seen a couple of times, but uh, it's called America's Got Talent. You may be familiar with this show. And the, the idea is that all of these people, they bring their own talents, their unique abilities, and they, they, they take the stage, right? And they give it their all, and then they are judged, they're judged. And, and the, the reality is that the, the judges who sit on this panel, they, they have the power to decide who will stay and who will go, much like the claw in Toy Story, right? And, and so these judges, they, they take the stage and, and they all have a buzzer. They, they all have a buzzer. And, and uh, a family in our church, they let me borrow this one. It's from a game called Taboo. And the concept of this game is, is when you mess up, when you, when you miss the mark, when you say the wrong thing, then you get, you get buzzed. All right? And so in the same way, these judges on this show, America's Got Talent, they all have a buzzer and somebody they perform, right? And sometimes they get like a resounding, yes, that was incredible, and they kind of get to move on. And, and sometimes they get like, I'm sorry, but no, like it was good. It's just not what we're looking for. And then finally, finally, some of them, man, when they, when they just fail miserably, they hear the dreaded sound of the buzzer. It's just, and this buzzer, this buzzer, it's like the, the emotional equivalent of dropping through the floor into this underground cave of humiliation, right? And, and they just, they, they get this and they're told, listen, you're not good enough. And they're told in front of everyone and for the world to see that they've missed the mark. And, and I just wonder if, you know, maybe you've considered what it'd be like to be one of those judges, but more so you've probably are well acquainted with what it's like to be one of those contestants. Like, like, like feeling like you're being judged or feeling like you missed the mark. And the reality is some of us, we feel like other people or even God, that they're just hovering over their buzzer. And they're just waiting for us to mess up so that they can, 
just buzz us and call us out on our shortcomings. Like, like some of us, we, we feel like, hey, I made a mistake. Or, or I missed the mark. I got junk in my life. Or some of us just feel like, listen, I've tried. And it seems like every time I take a step forward, it's two steps back. And so it's just, and I just keep feeling the judgment of other people. And, and I just feel the judgment from God. And, and, and some of us feel that way that those shoes are all too comfortable because it's the life that we lead. We feel like people are just bearing down the judgment on us. And the reality is there's this guy that we're going to talk about today, Zacchaeus, who knows what that feels like. This guy who's very well versed in what it feels like to be judged and those feelings of shame and guilt that can cause us to retreat. They can cause us to isolate ourselves. They can cause us to, to maybe try to hide from others and, and even hide from God. And those feelings, though, they, they can cause us to miss a truth that, that I want us to talk about today in week one of Shoes. But really, it's going to be this common theme all throughout this series, this truth here, that everything changes when you experience the love of Jesus, Everything changes when you experience the love of Jesus, that God does not hang out with some cosmic size buzzer just, just waiting to zap you every time you fail. No, in fact, like the buzzer doesn't even exist. It's nowhere in sight. Rather, God holds this banner of hope and forgiveness and love over you, and he desires a relationship with you through his son. And that's the God that we're talking about, and, and, and he puts that on display. And so, so we're going to talk about this guy, this wingtip wearing guy named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, um, his story begins in, in Luke chapter 19, starting with verse one, that Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. And, and I want to pause because um, the, the NIV version, it actually says that Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. That he was, he was passing through. So he made his way into the town, but he was going through the town. He was going to be passing through. So that, that tells us that Jesus had somewhere to be by way of Jericho, and he's on his way through. And then verse 2, there was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. Rich. He had become very rich. And then it goes on. And it says that he tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. And so a couple of things that we know right off the top about Zacchaeus from this text. Number one, that Zacchaeus was rich. I mean, filthy rich. Like Zacchaeus, he was the chief tax collector of the region. And let me just kind of like give us a, a, a brief overview of what tax collectors were like in this day. Tax collectors were, were known for their shady business dealings, and they were infamous for robbing the poor to pay themselves. And, and they were hated, to say the least. I mean, in fact, Jewish tax collectors, is, which is what Zacchaeus was, a Jewish tax collector was working for the Roman government to strip away resources from his own people. So he was considered the worst kind of a thief as he buddied up with the despicable enemies. In essence, a tax collector was a traitor, a traitor with a big, fat, dirty bank account fueled by overtaxing their own people to pad their own pockets. 
And Zacchaeus, chief tax collector. That means he was like the top of the pyramid. So he got a piece of everyone's pies. So number one, Zacchaeus is rich. He's filthy rich. And then number two, Zacchaeus was short. Zacchaeus was short. In fact, I asked several people this week and said, hey, when you hear the, the name Zacchaeus, what comes to mind? And, and everyone um, all throughout the week was saying, oh, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And, and maybe that's what came to your mind. That Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And, and I wonder though, just like now, like if Zacchaeus is looking back at this, he's like, wait, 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 wait. I'm short, but why did you guys take it a step further teaching children that I was a wee little man? Like what in the world is going on? And so, so, but that's, that's what we view Zacchaeus as, that he was a wee little man and he wanted to see the Lord, which, which off the top, it doesn't seem like that um, is troubling, but, but it does seem to not make a lot of sense once you get to know Zacchaeus. Why would he want to see the Lord? He's an outcast. He, he's a social enigma and, and, and he's isolated himself. And so Zacchaeus, he's short. He's short. And we can, we can see from archeological finds that, that grown men, adult males at this time in this era, they, they averaged out to be just south of five and a half feet tall. So that means for the vertically challenged Zacchaeus to not even be able to see like through the crowds, much less over the crowds, that means Zacchaeus would have been especially short. And, and so Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus did all he could do to compensate for his height, which I was, I was just considering um, what that would be like to be in like wee little shoes. And I was just thinking about that. And, and I was thinking about some, um, some of my favorite short people. You know, in fact, I'm, I'm a fan of short people. My favorite short person on the planet happens to be my wife, who stands every bit of nearly 412, okay? And so um, she is like on up there, right? And so, uh, so she is short, but, but there's all these other people that I greatly admire who have just completely overcompensated and have like reached and gone beyond all odds, even though they are short. And I wanna share some of those with you. Some of them are, are athletes. There's a guy named Isaiah McKenzie. Isaiah McKenzie was a return specialist for the Georgia Bulldogs, um, and this was taking place in a stadium not too far from here, but Isaiah McKenzie was dynamite. This dude, he was kind of like a, a toddler that could run a 4-4, but soaked in syrup. Like he was so hard to catch. This guy was crazy awesome. He was super, super short and he was fun to watch. It was just really, really cool to watch Isaiah McKenzie, one of my favorite short people. Another one, many of you well know, his name is Joe Morgan. Joe Morgan is one of the, um, the most famous Cincinnati Reds players of all time. He's, he's an all-star. He's a World Series champion. There's some of the highlights from that World Series. And he had a, an incredible bat, but he had a glove to match it. Joe Morgan, um, he was just a boss on defense. This is one of his plays there from second base. And, uh, and so Joe Morgan is just a fantastic example of a short guy just going above and beyond. I couldn't leave out. The next one, the 1986 slam dunk champion, Spud Webb. Spud Webb played for the Atlanta Hawks. And, and here's what's really neat. Um, he beat Dominique Wilkins, who was his teammate in this dunk contest. Dominique Wilkins had won the dunk contest the year prior. And he had actually didn't even know Spud could dunk the ball 
until this contest. He'd never seen him do it before, so he was blown away, and he, he was so short, but, but he, he also had small hands. He couldn't even palm the basketball, so he just had to time all of his dunks just perfectly incredible. And then the last but not least, a guy that many of you well may recognize, a guy named Tyler Eulis. This guy was um, a treat to watch. He was incredible, played a few years ago for the Kentucky Wildcats. And I heard this staggering statistic during this season that, uh, that Tyler Eulis, he accounted for nearly 60% of the buckets Kentucky made through either his own points or assists that he Gave. And so it was just incredible. It was a lot of fun to watch Tyler Eulis play basketball. And, and the reality is there's all kinds of other people who, who may be short, but they are overcoming all odds, whether it's sports or, or something else. But it does seem like some of these, you know, they, they overcompensated with, with their speed or athleticism, agility, power, or in Zacchaeus's case, with money. And, and so you take those attributes of Zacchaeus, a lying, filthy, rich, wee little man. And, and think like the infamous Michael Corleone from The Godfather mixed with Kevin Hart, right? Or, or, or think like the great Gatsby meshed with George Costanza, right? And, and, and so that's kind of what you have here. And I imagine that, that those few things might've contributed to Zacchaeus being one of the loneliest people in Jericho, hated for his profession and feeling limited because of his height. But his response to Jesus coming to town was remarkable. I mean, he had, he had certainly heard the rumors and the miracles that Jesus had performed. And he must have been interested in some of the teachings that were being spread like wildfire from this mysterious rabbi as bold as God. And that curiosity, it led Zacchaeus to do things a rich man, a respectable man in this culture would never do. We read that in verse four. It says, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. So he runs and he climbs. In his brand new, like Cole Hahn wingtips and his, and his Gucci robe and maybe a Louis Vuitton man bag, Zacchaeus takes off running and then he scampers right up a tree. Why? For the Lord he wanted to see. So why did he run? Well, simply, he ran to get ahead of the paparazzi-like crowd. But why did he climb? Was he short? Sure. But he was curious. Not just that, he, he was cautious. I mean, think about it. Like, he, he wanted to see Jesus, but he didn't want Jesus to see him. Like, like let's just say Zacchaeus was well acquainted with social distancing. And we see in verse 5, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus. So I want to, I want to just pause here because I want us to imagine what's going on. You've got Zacchaeus, a perennial name on, on the Forbes richest man in Jericho list, but, but he's a lying thief who's all too aware of the wretched man he's become. And he's, he's in a tree. And he's gripping the tree limbs, white knuckled, and he's trying to, to steady his breathing. He's catching his breath. And Jesus, Jesus, meanwhile, is, is making, making his way closer and closer on the path to pass 
by and while Zacchaeus grips the tree, like fear and, and angst like grip his gut and he's standing there and he's holding this tree and he's waiting and as Jesus makes his way closer and closer, you, you can imagine in the cascading branches, his heartbeat is just, just going a mile a minute and then all of a sudden, possibly in mid-conversation, Jesus stops. Jesus stops and he looks up into this tree. And anticipating the equivalent of a judge's buzzer, what finally breaks the silence shocked everyone around. Zacchaeus' name rolling off Jesus' tongue. Here's the rest of that verse. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. He called him by name. Why? Because names matter. You know, if, if, you've, um, if you've ever had a child, then you understand that names matter. Maybe not a child, maybe you've had a, a puppy, you understand that names matter and the, the daunting task of deciding on the name is, is a weighing responsibility. And, and I believe that's essentially why God gave us nine months of pregnancy, just so that two people could agree on one name. And the reality is, like with all three of my kids, we took it to extra innings. Like with my two sons, we had to decide in the hospital before we left. And then um, like with our daughter, we came in the hospital with one name decided on and we left with a totally different name picked out. But, but choosing a name matters. And I want to share with you um, a little bit about my name. You know, when, when I turned 18 years old, my dad threw for me what's called a man's dinner. And he did this for my two older brothers. And, and essentially what he had each of us do when, when it came time for our birthdays, we each kind of composed a guest list of men who had great influence in our lives. Men that I had known, some of them for, for my entire life to that point, some for only a few years, but I gave this guest list to my dad and he made sure those men were around that table. And, and we shared what we call a two-plate meal. It's where one plate holds your steak and then the other plate holds everything else, right? And so we share this meal together and then there's this moment during the dinner where they, they went around the table and each man just, just poured out wisdom into my life as I was kind of crossing that threshold into manhood. And when it came to my dad, he, he shared a few profound thoughts and then he said, now, oh, Philip, I wanna tell you why we named you Philip. And he started off, he said, you know, your oldest brother, his name is Timothy David, named after a preacher and a king. And, and you know, we felt like either one he decided would be fine with us. And he said, and, and your other brother, his name is Daniel. And he said, uh, you know, Daniel up to this point, and we imagine throughout his life will face down lions. And if you know anything about my brother, Daniel, that's certainly what he has done and continues to do. And then he said, and, and we named you Philip. We named you Philip after a man who boldly carried the name of Jesus to anyone who would listen. And that's what we pray for you too. You see, names matter. Names matter because every name represents a story and every story matters to God. And Jesus knows your name. You know, John 10 verse three says, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. 
that Jesus, he's a good shepherd. And he knows your name and he knew Zacchaeus' name too. And so, so it goes on. So Jesus calls out Zacchaeus. He said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. He says, Zacchaeus, do you see the urgency in this? He says, Zacchaeus, quick, I've been passing through and I'm passing by, but Zacchaeus, I'm ready to pass on something in your life that's gonna change your life forever. This experience with me will change your life forever. He says, quick. You see, Jesus, he looks into this man's face through the branches, through the cascading leaves, through the camouflage, through his insecurities. He, he looks at Zacchaeus, he calls him by name and he says, listen, I've got to be a guest in your home today. So Zacchaeus, like, like pass out the party invitations and the hats and the kazoos because it's about to go down and I'm coming to your house. And in that moment, in that moment, all eyes were on Jesus and his radical invitation to do life in this man's home. Like folks were, were surprised to say the least, but, but tax collectors, they, they were known as, as, as scam artists and cheats. And they're all starting to wonder, does Jesus have any idea what he's doing? Like his reputation is at stake. Like everything he has built is on the line. And, and, and listen, I don't know if you've ever walked across the room to go, to go engage in conversation with someone that, that your friends and your family wouldn't approve of, but that takes courage. And when you feel all eyes on you, it takes a lot of boldness to love in the way that Jesus loves. But get this, Jesus isn't willing to have an arm's length relationship with Zacchaeus and he isn't willing to have an arm's length relationship with you either. You know, an author named Sammy Rhodes put it this way and I love it. He says that Jesus doesn't give side hugs. Jesus doesn't give side hugs. Jesus didn't ignore Zacchaeus. Jesus called him by name. Jesus didn't bring up his past. Jesus invited him into a new future and all at once, with one simple greeting and instruction, Jesus flips Zacchaeus' thoughts about himself and he flips the thoughts the crowd was having about Jesus too. We read this in verse six. Zacchaeus quickly, so he responds to the urgency accordingly. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. And just pause here for a moment. Imagine this. This whole setting, all of these people, they, they, like you can hear a pin drop in this moment and they, they watch this interaction. Jesus says, I must come to your house and Zacchaeus quickly responds and he has great joy because, because now this nobody is, is, is becoming a somebody, right? Because he's having this interaction with Jesus and so he jumps down, he's got all this excitement and joy, these emotions he's, he hasn't felt in maybe years and years and then guess what happens? Guess what what the people who, who call themselves religious, guess what the people who surround themselves with Jesus, all, all the crowd, all of these people, what they do next in verse seven, but the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. They grumbled. So Jesus shows up and he loves the unlovable and then the people grumble. They thought Zacchaeus didn't deserve the love of Jesus. And I find it so interesting that the crowds and the Pharisees, that, that those people who would surround themselves around Jesus, that they're continually caught off guard and surprised when Jesus loves the unlovable. Like it, it, it's astonishing because this, this is the sixth 
recorded encounter with a tax collector in the gospel of Luke alone that Jesus has, and there's no buzzer in sight. Not one of them. Not one of them, which let me just say is, that's like something I love about the love of Christ. Like if you read through the gospels, you cannot escape the fact that Jesus brought hope for everyone. That Jesus does not, he does not limit the amount of hope. No, 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 he, he pours it out. He lavishes his hope on everyone. He sought out the worst and he would treat them like the best. And we see this, that if you are poor, Jesus is coming for you. That if you are broken, Jesus is coming to mend you. If you're rich, Jesus is not afraid of you. If you are sick, Jesus can heal you. If you're an outcast, Jesus can make sure that you are known. You know, a buddy of mine, he's a pastor in California, he tweeted it like this. He said, the people least like Jesus, liked Jesus. That's so true. That, that the people least like Jesus, they, they saw something about Jesus and it, it was an attractive brand of love. And it drew them in. And, and church, that's the type of people we want to be. We want this unique Jesus brand of love that is just so, so freeing. We want to love people in a way that's attractive and, and that, that brings them in and draws them in, not so that they can come closer to us, but that, so we can bring them closer to Jesus. And listen, I, I'm so grateful to serve alongside um, a staff and leaders and elders and volunteers and students who, who are striving to take steps toward Jesus, who are striving to live lives that fit into the pages of this book. And listen, because of, of the nature of what I get to do, I often have a front row seat to life change. I'm so grateful for it. But listen, that's never by accident. People don't, don't just accidentally get ambushed by the grace of Jesus because it, it, it takes people intentionally loving like Jesus. You know, rescue missions are fueled by a search. And Jesus was searching. He was seeking even when he was just passing through. Because get this, passing through is not an excuse to pass by. No, Jesus was passing through, but he did not use that as an excuse to just get to where he was going as quickly as possible. Rather, a pass-through is an opportunity to pass on. To pass on what? And to pass on the love that Jesus has passed on to us, to pass on the faith we have in him, to pass on the hope that is found only in Christ. And because of that, Jesus had to go to Zacchaeus's house. And so he does. And while we don't have all the details of what happens next, Jesus most likely did what friends do. They hung out. Yeah, that, that's simple. They, they ate together. They probably just spent time together and they talked, which was quite foreign to this infamous chief of thieves. I mean, Zacchaeus, he had an endless menu, but an empty invite list. So this guy, he, he, was, he was well acquainted with, with the riches of life. He just had no one to share it with until Jesus came along. And listen, I, I don't know, I, I don't know when you think of the word fancy, I don't know what comes to mind. I know fancy is subjective. What's fancy to me may, may be mundane to you. But, but my daughter, she got a little um, easy bake muffin maker for her birthday a couple weeks ago. And the very first dessert she made were these little, these little like chocolate bunk cakes. And, and we had them with strawberries. And, and I was so excited. It looked like so decadent and it was so cool. And, and I said, wow, like look how fancy we are with these little 
many chocolate bunk cakes and strawberries. And my son, who's six years old, he said, well, dad, we're not that fancy. It's not like we're at a buffet, which I thought, you're right, buddy. We are not at a buffet. And, and, and I love that that is his, like his standard, his baseline of what fancy is. And I hope it always stays that way. But listen, we don't know for sure, but I imagine that Zacchaeus was fancy enough to where he could have had a buffet. But regardless, it begs the question, not what did they eat, but why would Jesus go? Like, why would Jesus, the man who claimed to be God, spend time hanging out with someone who was a communal castaway? Why? Because Jesus loved him. Because Jesus knew his name. You see, before Zacchaeus knew that he was lovable, Jesus made it clear. Before Zacchaeus could imagine speaking to Jesus, Jesus invited himself over to his house He shows Zacchaeus that you don't have to get your life all together and straightened out before God will accept you and show you his love, that God loves you first before you do anything to earn it. But but do you remember, let's just go back. Do you remember what set all this into motion? Like think back to to the cautious curiosity of this man who wanted to see Jesus, but he didn't want to be seen by Jesus. Get this, Zacchaeus positioned himself close enough to experience the love of Jesus and it completely changed everything. Completely changed everything. That Zacchaeus positioned himself in a place that he knew Jesus would pass by. And in the midst of Zacchaeus trying to see who Jesus was, Jesus revealed who he is. Because everything changes when you experience the love of Jesus. And so let me ask, are you strategically positioning yourself in places you're sure to encounter Jesus? Like Zacchaeus, he knew where Jesus would be. And so he physically positioned himself there and he had an encounter with Jesus. Are you doing that? Are you being strategic in like your physical presence? Are you putting yourself in places where you are sure to experience Jesus or put this way, are you intentionally surrounding yourself with folks pointing you to Jesus? And how do you know if you've been with Jesus? And I believe this, that that this is the simplest and most telling marker of someone who's been with Jesus. Get this, the more time that you spend with Jesus, the less you spend on yourself. The more time you spend with Jesus, the less you spend on yourself. Because just check out what happens next. Verse eight. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor. Lord, and and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Those who are lost. You see the invitation Jesus gave himself revealed his intention that he has with his mission. That he came to seek and save the lost. And so while we don't get all the details we see that at some point that afternoon, that evening or some point in their time Together, that there was this incredible heart transformation that ultimately led to behavior modification. And, and at some point in the evening, 
possibly between like shooting hoops on the marble indoor basketball court or, or watching funny YouTube camel videos on the 70 inch flat screen or, 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 or at some point the conversation made its way to what Zacchaeus loved most. It made its way to his heart. You see, it made its way to his money. In some way or another, Zacchaeus was surprised by grace and, and his heart was healed. And that happens at some point in his experience with Jesus. And after experiencing the love of Jesus, everything changed and Zacchaeus realized that a money-shaped peg would never fill a God-shaped hole in his heart. Because when you spend time with Jesus, you'll quickly begin to see that he has spent everything he has on you. He spent his entire life on you and it will move you to a place where you desire to spend what you have on and for him. You know, one of the greatest qualities of our God is how generous he is. And the more you experience that generosity, the more generous you become. But, but don't miss this truth that it's not about the money. It's about the heart. It's not about the money. It's about the heart. And you see, when we take a step back and we look at the bigger picture, here's the reality. Zacchaeus wasn't just rich. He was lost. Zacchaeus wasn't just short. He was dead. You see, moments earlier, Zacchaeus was known as a notorious sinner. He was broken, lonely, ashamed, and lost. He then experiences the overwhelming generosity of a loving God through unconditional friendship and is completely healed, restored, forgiven, and found. I mean, Jesus turned a casual cookout into a soul search and rescue. Like, like Jesus legitimately turned a dinner party into a revival. And you see that Jesus's love for Zacchaeus, it caused him to want to change. It caused him to want to live a different life life. And it's an attractive brand of love. Like I said, it's a, it's a remedy and it has the potential to shift and transform and restore every person it touches. You know, Louis Giglio in his book, The Comeback, he, he writes these words. He says, it doesn't matter how messy life has become. It's never too late for God to do a miracle. It's never too late for God to restore your family, your health, your mind. It's never too late for him to put your life back together. It's never too late to heal the wounds inflicted on you over years. It's never too late for Jesus to speak to you when you're hanging on a cross in the middle of your guilt and punishment you deserve. It's not too late if you're in a garbage dump and you don't matter to anyone in this world. The good news is that paradise connects with landfills. And today, thanks to Jesus, paradise can come to us. See, church, if you want to experience the type of awakening that Zacchaeus did, you just need to get close enough to experience Jesus. I mean, Zacchaeus literally climbed a tree and physically positioned himself on a path he knew Jesus would cross, and, and it works the same with us. Perhaps you need to get in a spot where, where you're looking for Jesus and you're listening for his voice. And maybe for you, it's taking a step to get into a group, taking a step out of a row and into a circle. Maybe it's a Sunday morning group here at Northeast, a Bible study group or a life group. Maybe that's the step for you. Or maybe for you, it's, it's taking a step of serving, 
of literally of giving your time and your, your talents and, and, and just giving of yourself to further the mission of this church. Maybe that's the step for you. Or maybe for you, like Zacchaeus, is taking a step to mirror the generosity of a generous God. Maybe that's the step for you, but, but understand that, that, that God's not here to buzz you when you get it wrong. He loves you and, and he wants you to know it. You know, it's the testimony of every single person who has ever or will ever place their faith in Christ as Savior that I was dead and now I'm alive. In Ephesians chapter two, Paul simplified it like this. He said, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Members of his household. You see, church, Jesus likes to share meals with his friends. And he calls you a friend. You don't have to get it all together before joining the party. There's no church clothes necessary. All you have to do is accept the invitation and begin walking in your very own shoes alongside Jesus to have your own personal encounter. He gave new life to Zacchaeus. He gave new life to me and he's given new life to thousands and thousands right here in the bluegrass and beyond. And he can give new life to you too. Listen, if... If Jesus can melt the heart of a guy like Zacchaeus and you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus, imagine what he could do with you. Like, like truly imagine, imagine the abundant life that, that you could have walking alongside Christ. And, and listen, if you do know Jesus personally, if you call yourself a follower, if you call yourself an owner and you're on this journey, then, then, then with, with your own individual unique story, with your own unique pair of shoes, as you strive to take steps alongside him and toward him, l- l- let me just say, let me ask you this question. How will you generously respond to his generous love? How will you continue taking steps? How will you generously respond? How will you continue to chase hard after him? And so, so whether you, you, you know Jesus and you're following after him or whether you, you, you're soon to know Jesus and, you, and you're almost ready to make that step. Church, whatever your next step is, I pray that you, that you lace up your shoes and you, you boldly step toward him. Because listen, everything changes when you experience the love of Jesus. Like Zacchaeus, like me, and like many others in our own shoes. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your loving kindness. God, your mercy and your grace. I thank you, Jesus, for never being too busy. Thank you for not passing by as you passed through. God, I thank you that, that you don't give side hugs. I, I'm so grateful for the way that you generously responded to Zacchaeus when he fell short, because God, I'm, I'm grateful that that's the same forgiveness that you, that you pour out on us when we fall short. Father, when we sin against you and one another, and so God, we're grateful for that. Father, I pray that we respond, that we respond to your love and your invitation. God, that for every person in earshot of, of my voice and the service, God, that that, that every single person would find salvation in your son's name and that, 
that God, that we would then generously respond to that love, that we would reflect it and we would mirror it to others. God, give us the empathy to walk in other people's shoes, the capacity to listen and the boldness to care. Father, when folks look at us, may they catch a glimpse of you and all this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. What an encouraging message from Philip today, and it is such a great reminder for all of us. I'm very excited to see where this sermon series is going, but we have one more awesome announcement for you. So on March 17th at 6.30 p.m., we will be having our first night of worship post-COVID. This is one of the things that we've really been missing since COVID, so we're so excited to get together to be able to safely worship for an extended period of time together. So we would love to see you there for that. Um, If you're new with us or if you've been with us for a while and you want to know more and you want to get connected with us, it's really easy. You can uh, click the link in the comments or go to ncclex.org slash connect. We would love to connect with you. Lastly, we always want to worship through gifts and generosity. And no matter how you give, whether on the Church Center app, through mail or online, we just want to say thank you so much for your generosity. Um, The gifts that you give make such a great impact in the kingdom through what God is doing here at Northeast. That's all we have for today. Please stay connected with us on our socials and we'll see you all next time.